Spooky. Ooh. <laughs> His bathroom's been closed for 40, 40 years. Wow. <laughs> I don't like that we exhaled and inhaled at the same time, but you know, we're, we're going to work through we're it. We're connected. Maybe those two spirits <laughs> intertwined. I hate that. Yeah, I know. I would love to die. <laughs> would love to die. Um, Fantastic. What a way to start the show. Welcome back to... Honestly, a podcast with Zoe and Logan. That was Logan, and that was Zoe. Spooky Logan and spooky <laughs> Zoe. Yes, today it's more like my favorite. Honestly, uh, 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 anyone? Uh, um, it's week one of our Halloween spooktacular. Ooh. Thank you. I was possessed by ghosts. Sorry. Um. If you uh, were around last year at this time, we do uh, four spooky-themed episodes in the month of October, and so this is our second annual Halloween Spooktacular. Isn't it fun that we have second annual I love that we have, like, podcast traditions, you know? Um, So today we are doing another My Favorite Murder-inspired episode. Very exciting. So just a disclaimer right off the bat. <laughs> yeah, let's get into that this quickly. This episode will discuss murder and other dark topics. That are not so fun. So if that bothers you, we want to personally, up. you don't have to listen to this episode. Give you some time to exit. Okay, yeah. You know, Apple Podcasts, take your time. If enjoy you're not your day. familiar with My Favorite Murder, it is a true crime comedy podcast. And so that's what we're aiming for here today, okay, folks? So if that upsets you in any way, it's fine. I'm so sorry. Feel free to excuse it's not yourself. For you. <laughs> that wasn't meant to be aggressive. Like this episode is not for it's you. It's not for you, frankly. Um, like it's not the one for you. Maybe tune in next week when Might we be better. when we do conspiracy theories. <laughs> um, amazing. So, yeah, we are both going in the style of My Favorite Murder. We're both going to talk through um, murder cases that interest us. We each picked one um, and wrote it out, and we are going to explain it to you, dear listeners. Dear listeners. And also to each other. Yeah. So. I am, frankly, very excited. Uh, frankly. Uh, frankly, listeners. <laughs> Logan's favorite murder is me. <laughs> I will be killing Zoe live on this episode. It's not podcasting. It's no. one thing we're getting into. That's a dark genre. That is. It's not on iTunes. Hmm. You have to go to the dark web for that. <laughs> How do you get to the dark web? Honestly, I don't know. <laughs> I'm like really intrigued. I by would it. love to know. Hey, listeners. If any of you have gone on the dark web, <laughs> Please, I'd love to hear about your experience. I need to be educated in the dark web. Like, I don't want to go for any, like, reason. Like, I don't want to... Like, like, malicious? No, I just... Like, what is it? I'm curious. What goes on there? Bad thing. How do you get there? Bitcoin? <laughs> <laughs> like, can you just Google, like, dark web, and then there's just, like, a <laughs> the little link? One. It's just like, oh, welcome to the dark web. I don't know. Um, Have you seen all those 
videos on YouTube that are like, I ordered a mystery box from the dark web. It's like, no, you didn't. That also <laughs> seems like extremely cursed if like, you did. No, you did not. It's just people who are like, well, I bought this box. It's just like a fat fit fun box. No, <laughs> but like murderous things. It's like, there's a person's head. Wow. <laughs> Love that. Thank you. Use code honestly at <laughs> checkout for 20% off your first Dark purchase. <laughs> but literally, I watched one and I was like, none of this is real, but I appreciate the amount of effort that you put into it. I mean, I feel that way about like a lot of YouTube yeah. videos. I'm just like, this is extremely fake, but congrats. <laughs> but I will continue watching for the full 45 minutes. Absolutely. What better way to spend my time? I don't, I don't have another way. What else would I be doing? Nothing productive. Yeah. I want to see what somebody claims they bought on the dark web. Hair. A backpack with children's photos in it. Was Ew, one thing. That's sinister. It was very sinister. <sighs> if, listen, if you <laughs> genuinely, if any of you have been to the dark web, I feel like it's like you like physically go there. <laughs> yeah. You know? It's like, you it's know, like, like a place. Well, it's like, was it like the magic school bus where like they go into the motherboard mm, of the computer? Yeah. Like that's what I imagine that's the dark, the dark web, web to be. But you it's like the black market. Frizzle? Yeah. And if it's like you go into your Carlos. computer. Carlos. <laughs> Carlos. Carlos just like buys a severed hand. Um. Anyway. Oh, I want to see that episode. Listen, weren't they bringing back the Magic School Bus? Do I thought so. Do the Magic School Bus takes the dark, dark web. Oh my god. Let's do like a Riverdale well, but they're, the Magic yeah, exactly. School Bus. They're making everything else edgy. Oh, our minds. Our minds. <laughs> Truly disturbed. What was the lizard's name? I don't know. Is it just like Liz or something? I feel like, like that? it was something like that. A dark Liz. Dark Liz. This is like it a mohawk. Black <laughs> <laughs> and lingerie. Oh, played by Liz. <laughs> just mix it up. Um, do you want to get in Let's to get the murder? It. Who do you want to go first? Well, I mean, like, how dark is yours? Mine is like. I don't, I don't know. It's I, long, yeah. but it's it's more of, like, a mystery than, I was gonna like say, because yours is, like, unsolved. I know, like, yeah. the basics of yours. Yeah. Mine, like, there is just a smattering of cannibalism, <laughs> so I almost just feel like smidge. maybe start off with mine yeah. and finish it up with yours, because we'll, we'll at least it. it's, it's mysterious, Ooh. you know? Um, okay, so I'll start off the show. I'm... <laughs> Going to be talking about a woman named Catherine Mary Knight. Ooh. Now, uh, I will say it was very difficult for me to figure out what murder I wanted to do for this. Because as I was saying to Zoe, anytime I looked up like <laughs> interesting murders, murders that people don't know about, it would be like the Black Dahlia. I was like, <laughs> Ted Bundy. Yeah, it was like telling me ones that were like very popular. It was like John Wayne Gacy. I was just like, I think people know about him yeah i think he's um, a little well known so i was like trying to find cases that i didn't know i didn't want to do something really obvious like bundy or gacy or like jeffrey Dahmer or something like that because people know those stories basic <laughs> bundy exactly we are not basic bundy bitches not, here on this podcast not in this house like you know those stories i know those stories people listening are probably pretty familiar so i didn't want to do that yeah and it was like really hard to find one that i didn't know already mm-hmm. And then I also wanted to steer clear of anything where women were victimized or where children were victimized. And I was also preferably going to steer clear of cannibalism. But, but here we are. I kind of went into that territory <laughs> without um, intending to. So anyway, 
Uh, what's her name? Catherine Mary Knight. <laughs> I got all of this information from the Wikipedia page. I just I wanna... thought you were just gonna say from the Wikipedia, and I was like, wow. No, this bitch has her own Wikipedia page. I got all of the information from that. Um, so if you're listening and you know a lot about this woman and you're like, these seem like not factual, take it up with whoever wrote the Wikipedia page. I did not fact check any of this. <laughs> I just trusted whoever wrote it. So let's get into it. Some background on Dear Catherine. She was was born on October 24th, 1955 in Tenterfield, New South Wales, Australia. Ooh. Ooh. (laughs) Spooky. (laughs) Nothing scarier than Australia. It's true. Everything wants me dead. They do seem to have, like, a lot of scary things there. There's, like, a lot of, like, spiders and just things that would, like me dead so. see that's the thing like i would absolutely love to visit australia I know, it looks so like a beautiful. beautiful place but i have seen things that they yeah. have there <laughs> I've seen things. like the spiders and the horseshoe crabs um and i don't i don't think i could it's too terrifying anyway um i don't care sephora right now i don't want my notification <laughs> Um, so, according to Wikipedia, she was raised in what they described as an unconventional and dysfunctional family environment. Oh, good. (laughs) So, smooth sailing. Aren't they all? Her mother, Barbara, was married to a man named Jack, I'm not sure how to say the last name, Ruffhan, perhaps? It's spelled like Ruff and then an A-N at the end. Okay. Ruffin? Ruffin? (laughs) Ruffhan? I don't know. (laughs) I meant to kind of, like, double check how that was pronounced, and I didn't. So, um, so, Barbara and Jack... They had four children together. Catherine is not part of those four children. Oh, no. We'll get to her. Okay. Um, Barbara eventually began an adulterous relationship with a man named Ken Knight. Knight. That's Catherine's last name. I see where we're going. We're getting somewhere. So Ken was a friend and co-worker of Jack. The drama. The drama. Um, the Hruffhan family and the Knight <laughs> family were both very well known in the conservative rural town of oh. Aberdeen in New South Wales. Um, and the affair between Barbara and Ken caused like major drama. Oh, I'm sure. Mage drums. Mage drums. <laughs> Mage drums, baby. So, the backlash from the cheating scandal forced Barbara and Ken to leave Aberdeen and move to Moree. M-O-R-E-E. Maybe. Moree. Moree. I don't know. Um, so, none of her sons from her first relationship with Jack went with her when okay. she moved with Ken. Um, the two older boys stayed with their dad, and the two younger boys just went to Sydney to be <laughs> raised left. by their aunt. Okay. Not they sure were given why. a choice. Anyway, this <laughs> will come back into play. Okay. I'm not just telling you this for fun. Okay. Um, so Barbara and Ken then had four children together, including a pair of twin girls, enter Catherine. Oh, here she is. Finally. She was the younger one of the two twins. I don't think that was really relevant, but she I, I mean I'm glad I know. I felt it was kind of weird that they mentioned that on the Wikipedia page because I'm just like, but they're twins. Like, what? The difference is like a couple minutes. But I feel like <laughs> if you hadn't had that fact, I would be like, hmm, I wonder who is the older. Like, I feel like well, it doesn't seem know. that important. But then, but like, I would be questioning your mind. My mind. So she was the younger of the twins. Um, and then in 1959, so four years after she was born, um, Jack passed away, and the two oldest sons from his relationship with Barbara 
moved in with Babs and Ken. <laughs> Babs, my girl. So we got a full house. We got four kids plus the two older boys. So it's like six Pop. children under one roof plus Babs and Ken. <laughs> so, um, some unfortunate news. Ken was an alcoholic. Oh my God, wait, Barbie and Ken. I know, right? Whoa. I made that connection like three pages into my notes. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. It's like, wait, you guys, this is crazy. Like, is, anyone, just, is, is anyone, anyone else hearing this? Is anyone else picking up on this? Like, it's pretty wild. Um, yeah, so Ken was an alcoholic um, who used violence and intimidation to rape Barbara. Oh, that's nice. So it's like, it's like dark Barbie and Ken. Okay. Like dark web dark, Barbie and Ken. Dark Barbie and Ken. Yeah. Um, so Barbara then would in turn tell her daughter's intimate details of her sex life oh. and about how much she hated sex and men. Um, okay. which I mean, like, yeah, because it wasn't sex. It was rape. Yeah, it was, yeah. Like, I, I understand why you didn't like that, Barbara. Yeah. That's, that makes sense. Um, so Catherine once told her mother about, um, a partner that wanted her to participate in a sex act that she wasn't comfortable with. And Barbara offered up some sage motherly oh, God, advice. I can't wait. Just said, put up with it and stop complaining. Okay. Just hot tips from Babs. Thanks, Babs. Always looking out. Yeah. So, um, we start to kind of see maybe why Catherine turned out the way that she did. Yeah. Um, she was frequently sexually assaulted by, uh, several family members up until the age of 11. And I loved this. Wikipedia made a point of specifying that her father did not abuse her as if he gets points for that or something. Okay. Like, he- was, Like, you were an alcoholic, you raped her your mother. Your wife, yeah. Um, but you but no, you didn't do anything to her, so you're so a pretty good guy, They I just felt the need to point that out. So I just thought I'd tell you- um, Catherine was very close to her uncle Oscar, um, and this was just a fun detail at Wikipedia provider. He was a champion horseman. <laughs> um. Okay, great. Unfortunately, uh, he committed suicide in 1969, oh. and Catherine was devastated by that. Yeah. Uh, she attended the Muswell Brook High School. Again, not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. Yeah, I don't know. Um, where she was somehow both a bully and a loner. <laughs> Which I thought was That's, bold. That is a bold stance to take. Like, you're like, I'm a loner, like, I have no friends, but also fuck all of you. <laughs> I mean, I can respect that. I just felt like, you know, she was not going to be defined. No. Loner oh. and bully. The duality Love of woman. Um, anyway. She oh, assaulted Babs. one student with a weapon and oh. was injured by a teacher who was found to have acted in self-defense. So it's like, what do you have to do to a teacher <laughs> to where they- To get them to try to, like, attack you. Yeah, in wow. self-defense. So that was interesting. Um, but then, when she wasn't raging against the machine, she was a model <laughs> student. Oh, wait! And, wait. and often earned awards for her good behavior. Oh, and then I said the duality of woman. <laughs> <laughs> Bully. Mm-hmm. Loner. Model student. Model student. That's really a lot happening. That's the trifecta. That's really what we should all aspire to be yeah. as people. Bully. Loner. Model student. Love that. Like, you get those good grades. You keep to yourself. You attack but also you fuck people up. <laughs> Listen, she was doing her, okay? You know what? Respect. Um, so anyway, she left school at 15 without having learned to read or write. Which really makes me question the school system in Australia. And if she was a model student and she couldn't read or write. I have so many questions. I mean, a lot of this is not 
adding up. Not to me. No. <laughs> yeah. I just under like how do you how do you make it to fifteen years old? You were in school without learning to read or write. And, and as a model student. But you're also beating people up. I mean, maybe if you put less time into physically attacking the teachers. Maybe. You would have learned to read. Maybe if I had looked at some other sources, I could have pieced this together better. (laughs) But I'm just going by what Wikipedia told me. Um, So this is where things get kind of interesting. Um, She worked for a brief stint as a cutter in a clothing factory before moving on to what Wikipedia described as her dream job. Okay, I want you to, I really want you to keep this in mind. What is the dream job for a model student, a bully, and a loner? What would you suggest? I really don't know. What, 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 what what would your dream job be? Is she a butcher? (laughs) You know, you take the fun out of things. Is she a butcher? So. Oh my god! I was like, "What's gross and something I wouldn't want to do?" You take the fun out of everything. No, she got her dream job, which was cutting up the entrails and internal organs of animals at the local slaughterhouse. Oh wow! It was super specific. Dream job. That you know what? That makes sense. Yeah. So that she suits Babs. She this is Catherine. Babs oh, is her mother. Babs is gone. I'm Please so sorry. Keep up. I'm so sorry. Keep up. Um. So she was quickly promoted to boning, which I just put in brackets. <laughs> LOL. Um. And this is great. She was given her own set of butcher knives. Oh, I don't think she needs that. Well, I think that's gonna be badly. <laughs> well, yes. I mean, this is kind of like a little like breadcrumb. Like, you, yeah, you keep this in mind. Because she would hang her knives over her bed so that they would, quote-unquote, always be handy if I needed them. Same. You never know when you'll need a full meat cleaver in the bedroom. (laughs) Kinky. We're not here to kink shame. Okay. So that's, like, the early life of Catherine. That's just, like, setting the scene. We're painting a picture of perhaps a troubled woman. (laughs) And entrails. Um, dream job. Okay? Yeah. Dream job. She went out there and got it. Get yours. Mm. I think it's really an inspirational message. It's like, even if you don't know how to read or write, you can still get your dream job. You can still touch entrails all day. Catherine's really is an inspiring story. Um, okay. So, in 1973, she met a man named David Kellett, uh, who was her co-worker, and according to Wikipedia, a hard drinker. Oh, good. Um, Catherine was apparently the dominant one in the relationship and was well-known in Aberdeen for physically threatening anyone who upset her. <laughs> Which, like, I love that. Like, that's a mood for sure. That is. Um, Catherine and David married in 1974, arriving to the service on a motorcycle. <laughs> love that. Which I thought was very, like, You know punk. how they have, like, cams? That, yeah. Like, did she have, like, butcher knives? I certainly <laughs> hope so. And, like, <laughs> just, like, <laughs> Stein trailing behind. Just married. <laughs> Love it. Um, at the wedding, Catherine's mother, Babs. Babs, she's back. She offered up some more of that motherly advice oh, that she's, she's known so for. That. This time to David, uh, she said to him, "You better watch this one, or she'll fucking kill you. Stir her up the wrong way, or do the wrong thing, and you're fucked. Don't ever think about cheating on her, or she'll fucking kill you." I mean, I don't know how much clearer she could have been. <laughs> If your mother is saying that to your husband-to-be, that's a lot. (laughs) That is certainly a lot. Like, (laughs) he knew who she was 
from the jump, okay? Like he was he had fair warning. Oh my god. Um okay, so this was great. On their wedding night, Catherine tried to strangle David. It's not funny, but it's so startling. Um, yeah, she tried to strangle him and later explained it was because he fell asleep after only having sex three times. Seems reasonable. Which, like, I don't know. Again, I don't want to king shame. I don't know what you're into. But three times seems pretty solid. It's not like he just hit it and quit it once and was like, all right, night, night. <laughs> then you can strangle it. That, that would totally be understandable. But I mean, three times. He did his best. Unless he literally only lasted, like, five minutes each time. Again, don't strangle anyone. Sorry, I'm not trying to condone her behavior. Anyway, I think you are. Uh, I'm pro-strangling. <laughs> Again, whatever you're into. Just as long as it's consensual and you have a safe word. Um, so, the marriage proved to be particularly violent. Gee, couldn't see that Shopping. one coming. Strangling um, the wedding night. I think that's, like, a pretty good indication. Um, so on one occasion, a heavily pregnant Catherine burned all of David's clothing and shoes before hitting him over the head with a frying pan. Oh. All because he had arrived home late from a darts competition. Again, reasonable reaction. I think so. You know? Set it all ablaze. Just go for it. And then the frying pan to the head. Just, you know, classic slapstick comedy. I mean, she's a comedian. Uh, listen, guys, we're not making fun of domestic abuse. I know it might seem like we're making fun of it, but we're really not. We're not. Um, in May 1976, shortly after the birth of their first child, Melissa Ann, uh, David left Catherine for another woman and moved to Queensland. Which, like, on one hand, I'm like, yeah, it's probably a good idea that you, like, got out of that relationship. If you're getting hit over the head with frying pans, maybe don't stay. But also, like, you wait until after the birth of your first child. Like, now this child is stuck with your abusive wife. But anyway, I just have some questions. Yeah, a lot. <laughs> um, so after uh, David left, the next day, Catherine was seen pushing her new baby in a stroller down the street, violently throwing the stroller from side to side. Oh, no. So she was admitted to St. Elmo's Hospital in Tamworth and was diagnosed with postnatal depression. I feel like there's probably a lot of other stuff happening, too, but, um, you know. What would give you that idea? I'm not a therapist in Shane Dawson's video. No. Jake Paul. I am not trained, so I am certainly not going to diagnose anyone. Uh, but this is just what Wikipedia said. So anyway, after being released, Catherine was placed... No, sorry. <laughs> she wasn't placed. Catherine placed two-month-old Melissa on a railway line shortly oh. before a train was due. She then stole an axe, went into town, oh. and threatened to kill several people. <laughs> there's This bitch is lot. wild. There's, she's wild and out. There's like, a lot happening. There's so much happening. Like, this was one of those stories where, like, as I was reading it, I was just like, oh. 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 And then, like, it just ends with, yeah. like, the ultimate the oh. Um... <laughs> detail was just like really funny to me so it's like she puts the baby on the tracks goes into town with an axe threatens to kill people <laughs> a man known as old ted <laughs> found uh melissa oh, good and Thanks, um rescued her minutes before the train passed oh, thank god for old ted yeah right that's what i say all oh. the time um so Catherine was arrested and taken back to saint elmo's good but just signed herself out the following oh, day no no maybe hi um <laughs> Just, you know, based on past behavior, mm-hmm. perhaps, like, keep her there a little longer? 
I don't know. No, that's Again, a, I'm not a doctor. That's a great idea. Yeah. Uh, I would definitely agree with that. <laughs> because a few days later, Catherine slashed the face of a woman with one of her knives. Okay. And one de- of her knives. Well, you know, she, she has many. the whole set. <laughs> um, slashed her face and demanded that she drive her to Queensland to find David. Okay. So, um, this next part, I changed the wording of it just for you. Okay. The woman managed to escape when they stopped at a servo. <gasps> a servo. Uh, it was written as, like, a service station on Wikipedia, I I but I was like, this is in Australia. I know what these fuckers call them. A servo. servo. Thank you, Five Sauce. Um, for nothing. By the time police arrived, Catherine had taken a young boy hostage and was threatening him with a knife. I mean, she gets around. No, she's like she's making a very quick work. Busy lady. She is. Uh, she was disarmed when police attacked her with brooms. <laughs> Weird. Um, and Wait. She, yeah. Why? Why brooms? I don't know. Do they just have a lot on hand. I mean, like I guess at the servo, they they're just, like, quick. Add some what are brooms. we gonna do with all these brooms? I don't know. Like I've got it, Jerry, and then they just. I attacked a woman. No, I loved the idea of them just like swatting her with yeah. brooms. No. Yeah. That. Um it's like you like when you find like an animal out <laughs> of your like, house, you're like, no. There's a raccoon. Get out. Yeah. Out. <laughs> so uh they attacked her with brooms and she was admitted to Morissette Psychiatric Hospital. Uh Catherine told the nurses that she had intended to kill the mechanic at the service station okay. because he had repaired David's car, which had allowed him to leave. I mean, sound reasoning. So, like, she's really just, like, going straight to the source. She's like, who is responsible for this? She was then going to kill David and his mother when she arrived in Queensland. Um, I love a woman with a plan. No, I mean, like, she definitely, like, had, like, a to-do list, which I respect. (laughs) Um, When police informed David of the incident, um, he left his girlfriend and moved back to Aberdeen with his mother to support Catherine. Which is a bold choice. That's very interesting when someone says they want to kill you and your mother specifically to be like, I have an idea. Let's go back to the town where that woman is with my mother. To support her. Yeah, I mean, that's very nice. I mean, like, I appreciate his dedication to this woman and wanting to help her through her struggles with her mental health. But also, like, you are putting yourself and your mother in danger, sir. She's been very clear about that. No, like, I don't think she could be more clear. No. Anyway, um, Catherine was released on August 9th, 1976, into the care of her mother-in-law, and along with David, they moved to Woodbridge, which is a suburb of Brisbane, um, where she got a job at the Dinmore Meat Meatworks. Meat Meatworks? <laughs> I think that was just supposed to be Meat, meat-, meat- Works. <laughs> I like the Meat Meatworks. Meat Meat. <laughs> <laughs> I clearly did not proofread this. Um, so again, going back to her dream job, she loves being around dead meat. I love entrails. Um, so on March 6th, 1980, they had another daughter, Natasha Marie, but Marie is spelled M-A-R-E-E. Mary? Marie? I'm not sure how you would say that. Weigh in. Um, and then in 1984, Catherine left David and moved around a bit before settling back in Aberdeen. So she's going back to Aberdeen. Mm, 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 mm. So she had she left David, the first David. Um <laughs> because there's the second David. Oh, no. So in 1986 she meets David Saunders. Um in a twist shocking to no one, they had a tumultuous relationship that oh. consisted of Catherine kicking David out of their home and then begging him to come back. That was like a reoccurring yeah. thing. That's fun. 
Um, in May 1987, she cut the throat of a dingo pup in front of him. Oh, no! For no reason other than to show him what would happen if he ever cheated on her. I mean, like, leave the dingo out of it. It's just trying to go about its business and look like an adorable puppy that would kill you in an instant. But, like, but, like leave them alone. They're really cute. Yeah. They didn't ask for this. They did not. Um, so she also knocked him unconscious with a frying pan. That seems to be her go-to. Her modus operandi. <laughs> Anyway, um, in June 1988, she gave birth to a third daughter, Sarah. Uh, no name? No. Wow. Just Sarah. I know. I had the exact same thought when I was writing this. I was like, Melissa Ann, whatever the other one was, Natasha Marie, Marie. and then Sarah. Sarah. Sarah, help me. Uh, after the birth of Sarah, they moved into a new home, which Catherine decorated with baby-friendly things such as animal skins, skulls, horns, rusty animal traps, machetes, rakes, and pitchforks. I thought you were going to say pigeons. <laughs> and you'd be like, wow, that really is not child-friendly. Oh, oh my god. <laughs> like, what the fuck, right? It's a lot. It's rusty a lot. animal trap. You have three children. Also, like, get a new one. <laughs> like, why does it have to be rusty? It have to be rusty, that's a choice. Uh, yeah. So after an argument where Catherine hit David in the face with an iron before stabbing him in the stomach with scissors, David took his service leave and went into hiding. Good, good call. Good call. Other David. Um, Catherine tried to find him, but no one admitted to knowing his whereabouts. Good friends. Mm -hmm. They're keeping their lips sealed, honey. Um, however, several months later, David returned to see his daughter, only to find out that Catherine had gone to the police and told him that she was afraid of him. Uh, resulting in an apprehended violence order against him. Oh. So. Yikes. That's the end of the love story between Catherine and the second, second David. David. So, in 1990, Catherine became pregnant by John Chillingworth. Great Chilling. name. Um, a former co-worker from the Slaughterhouse. Oh. That's where you find all the best That's men. type. <laughs> uh, they had a son named Eric, and their relationship lasted for three years, before uh, she left him for a man, I repeated that, I think. Um, she left him for a man she was having an affair with, okay. John Price. So, you're going to want to remember John. Oh. Because he's really a key player in this yeah. story. So, John Charles Thomas Price was a wow. father of three <laughs> children when Catherine had an affair with him. He was apparently, again, this was a quote I took directly from Wikipedia, a terrific bloke. Terrific whose own marriage had ended in 1988. Uh, he was aware of Catherine's violent reputation when she moved in with him in 1995. And um, in 1998, Catherine and John fought over his refusal to marry her. Okay. <laughs> in retaliation, Catherine videotaped item, items John had allegedly stolen from work and sent the tape to his boss. John oh, was subsequently wow. fired from yeah. his job that he had held for 17 years. Oh, good Good one. So, uh, that same day, John kicked her out, and news of what she'd done spread through town. As it does. As it small, small does. Yeah. So, a few months later, John decided to rekindle the relationship. No. Although, he refused to let Catherine move back in with him, which was probably I mean, the least he could do. Yeah. <laughs> um, the fighting between them became more frequent, and most of John's friends would no longer have anything to do with him while they remained together. I mean, <laughs> could you blame them? Yeah. So this is where we're really going to take a dark turn. So strap in. 
In February 2000, a series of assaults on John culminated with Catherine stabbing him in the chest. Finally fed up, he kicked her out of the house. Finally! Finally. Getting stabbed in the chest was his last straw. Like, you know what, this... This is it. I have had it up to here here. in my chest where the knife is. Yeah. Thank you. So that was his final straw and he took out a restraining order in an attempt to keep her away from both himself and his children. Um, John told co-workers that if he did not come to work the next day, it would be because Catherine had murdered him. That is some foreshadowing, honey. Yeah. So despite their pleas that John did not return home, he stated that he was afraid Catherine would kill his children if he did not. So he arrived home to find that Catherine was not there, although she had sent the children to sleep over at a friend's house, which is a red flag. Yeah, that's uh, sinister. Right? It's like, why would you send the kids away? Mm. Why would you do that? Uh, So John spent the evening with his neighbors before returning home and going to bed at 11 p.m. Earlier that day, Catherine had purchased new black lingerie and had videotaped all of her children while making comments that have since been interpreted as a will. Okay. So just, like, really normal, casual behavior. Yeah. Not, like, nothing weird going on. Okay, no. Don't worry. No, it's normal. It's fine. It's, like, a casual it's just like a Yeah, just whatever. What it's fine. Um, so she arrived at John's house later that night while he was sleeping, woke him up, and the two had sex. Okay. Again, like, a super healthy relationship. Yeah, no, it's fine. Uh, the next morning, a neighbor became concerned that John's car was still in the driveway and when he did not arrive at work, his employer sent someone to see what was wrong. Oh no, a lot's gonna be wrong. Oh, so much is wrong. Uh, both the neighbor and the worker tried knocking on John's bedroom window to wake him, but alerted the police after noticing blood on the front door. Oh no. Yeah, it's just like a spoiler it's alert. It's downhill from here. It's never good if you notice blood on the front door. No. So police arrived after 8am and discovered John's body after breaking down the back door. Catherine was comatose from taking a large number of pills. Okay, work. It's I a guess. mood. Uh, she had stabbed him with a butcher's knife oh. while he was sleeping. And according to blood evidence, John had awoken and he tried to turn on the light before attempting to escape while Catherine chased him through the house. How haunting is that's that? That's very haunting. With a butcher knife. Right? Was she wearing lingerie? Probably. Oh, that's dark. Um, so John managed to open the front door and get outside, but he either stumbled back inside or was dragged into the hallway where he eventually bled out and died. Oh. Sad. Later, Catherine went into town and withdrew $1,000 from John's ATM account. The autopsy revealed that John had been stabbed at least 37 times, oh both in the front and back of his body. Just in case any of you are interested. Yeah. Uh, several hours after John had died, this is where things go from fucked up to, like, really <laughs> fucked up. Real so, bad. just, like, so you know. Remember when I mentioned cannibalism <laughs> earlier? We're coming to that. So, uh, several hours after John had died, Catherine skinned him alive. Or not skinned him alive, skinned him. Oh. <laughs> he was oh, dead. No. Remember when I just said yeah. he was dead? Um, she skinned him oh. and hung the skin from a meat hook. Oh, no. Gross. She then decapitated him and cooked parts of his body, serving the meat with baked potato, pumpkin, beetroot, zucchini, cabbage, yellow squash, and gravy. It's a lot of veggies. Right? That's like a big meal. It's a lot. Maybe just cook the veggies. And skip the body? Yeah. Just like don't cook a man. (laughs) Don't Don't cook a man. That would be great. Uh, the food had been put out on the dinner table along with notes beside each plate. 
with each one having the name of one of John's children on it. That's right. The bitch was going to feed him to his children. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -mm. Um, John's head was found in a pot with vegetables. The pot was still warm, indicating that the cooking had taken place sometime in the early morning. Um, sometime later, this was just like an odd detail. Catherine arranged the body with the left arm draped over an empty soda bottle with the legs crossed. Why? I don't know. There's just a lot of whys, but then it's like the literal, like littler things. Yeah. Like, but why? Why? Yeah. Um, Catherine left a handwritten note on top of a photograph of John blood-stained and covered with small pieces of flesh, oh, it read... Oh, no. no. So, no. she wrote this note, and I will... I'm gonna read it to you the way that it was written. Because remember, she didn't learn to read oh, and write, right. so... Uh, A model student, though. Time got you back, Jonathan, for rapping my doubter. You to Beck for Ross for Little John. Now play with Little John's dick, John Price. What? Uh, the accusations in the note were never found to be, um, like, accurate. Yeah. So there was no proof to indicate that yeah. he had ever sexually yeah. assaulted yeah. anyone. So. That's fun. Okay. Just she's angry. Yeah. So Catherine's initial offer to plead uh, guilty to manslaughter, <laughs> lol, um, <laughs> I was, mean. was rejected. Yeah. And she was arraigned on March 2nd, 2001 on the charge of murdering John Price, to which she entered a plea of not guilty. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, bold. Uh, her trial commenced on October 15th, 2001, and shortly after she changed her plea to guilty. I, good call, I would say. Like, you're not fooling anyone. No, no one's gonna be like, well, she did, like, put his head in a pot, but, like, I don't think she did it. I mean, like, I don't think I, she meant to, you know? You know, I think, you know, those things happen. It's just, like, his head was just We're there. Humor. You know, we simple mistakes. mistake. Uh, so Catherine underwent psychiatric assessment to determine mm-hmm. if she understood <laughs> the consequences of a guilty plea and was fit to make such a decision. Catherine's legal team had planned to defend her by claiming amnesia and disassociation, a claim supported by most psychiatrists, although they did consider her sane. Long <laughs> silence. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I wouldn't, but again, I'm not a doctor. I am not a professional. Uh, so two psychiatrists concluded that Catherine suffered from borderline personality disorder. No reason has ever been given for the guilty plea, and despite giving it, Catherine refuses to accept responsibility for her actions. On November 8th, 2001, Catherine was the first woman in Australia to be sentenced to life in prison without parole. Break that glass ceiling, honey. Feminism. Ah, am I right? In June 2006, Catherine appealed her life sentence, claiming that a penalty of life in prison without the possibility of parole was too severe for the killing. Yeah, no, that seems like a little too much for her to be, like, punished. I mean, you know, she only killed a man, skinned him, decapitated him, Boiled cooked his, his body. With vegetables. That's all. That's it. She's only human. Don't you know? be harsh, okay? She's, She's doing her best. After she had ex- ex- exhibited violent behavior for, for her entire life. Um, justices Peter McClellan, Michael Adams, and Megan Latham dismissed the appeal with Justice McClellan writing in his judgment, this was an appalling crime almost beyond contemplation in a civilized society. True. Catherine is still in prison and is currently 62 years old. That's a lot. 
<laughs> and that is the story of Catherine Mary Knight and the murder of John Price. I'm so sorry, John. Honestly, let's pour one out for John, ladies and gents. So sorry that happened to you. He didn't deserve that. I don't... Ooh. That's horrifying in every possible way. Haunting, no? Very, very haunting. Yeah. I don't think I'll be the same. No. Moving forward, eating vegetables, living my life. Just... In any sort of... Thing. Yeah. It's fine. We're fine. Okay. Are you ready? Oh, I was born ready. Water? Yeah, I'm like, really need a sip. Mine is super long. So strap in. I am ready. I am doing The Mysterious Death of Natalie Wood. Ooh! Natalie Wood was an American-Russian actress. I had her Russian name written down, and then I was like, I'm not going to be able to pronounce that. I didn't know she was Russian. That's interesting. So I didn't put it down. I took it out. (laughs) I mean, Fair. She began her career in film as a child and became a successful Hollywood star as a young adult, receiving three Academy Award nominations before she turned 25. Wow. That's impressive. Wood began acting in films at the age of four. At age eight, she was given a co-starring role in the 1947 film Miracle on 34th Street. I've seen that. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) As a teenager, her performance in Rebel Without a Cause earned her nomination for the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress. She starred in musical films West Side Story and Gypsy and received Academy Award for Best Actress for her performances in Splendor in the Grass and Love with the Proper Stranger. From early childhood, Wood's mother instilled in her a fear of dark water Mm. because a fortune teller teller? teller. (laughs) had told her. (laughs) That teller had told her. That one of, like, someone in their family would be world famous, mm-hmm. and also someone else in their family would die of drowning. Sounds like it's going to be the same person. It does. <laughs> um, in the podcast Fatal Voyage, Ooh. it's heavily implied by Natalie's sister Lana that their mother was using this as a tactic to control Natalie. So that she would do what she wanted her to do and act and not do things kids want to do, like swimming and... Typical stage mom. Yeah. Um, she was so scared of water throughout her childhood, it has been rumored that she was terrified of even washing her hair. Oh no. And had, like, continuing nightmares about drowning. That's horrible. Really? Her mom does not sound great. Um, her mother made it clear that no matter what, the movie came first over Natalie. When Natalie was 10 years old and filming a movie called The Green Promise, a bridge that was rigged to collapse instead threw her into the water <gasps> and she broke her wrist. Oh no. But her mom made her keep quiet in case they didn't let her finish the movie. So she just continued with a broken wrist and had to do, like, the stunts and everything all over again it's at like 10 when, years old. Like, when you yeah, when I were a young ski. child and were forced to go skiing with a broken wrist. It's hard. You and Natalie have so much in so common. Much in common. Um, Natalie's sister also claims Natalie was raped at a young age and blames it on her mother's eagerness to get roles for her. Mm. And um, this is just a fun fact to give you some, like, idea of the character of this woman as a mother. Mm -hmm. Um, Natalie had to cry in one of the scenes and couldn't do it, Uh so she pulled her backstage and ripped a butterfly in half 
in front of her so that she would cry and then pushed her back out to do the scene. Where did she get the butterfly? Right? Like, did she just, like, have them ready to rip in half in front of her small child? Asia like, O'Hara is shook. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Oh. Oh. On Natalie's 18th birthday, she went on a date with actor Robert Wagner. Oh, girl, don't do it. Who was 26 at the time. And she was 18. She was 18. It's a bit of a difference. Yeah. They were married in December of 1957, but divorced a couple years later in April of 1962. Wood then married a different man in 1969, only to divorce him and remarry Robert Wagner in 1972. In 1981, Wood had been working on the sci-fi movie Brainstorm, a long actor, Christopher Walken. Heard of him? (laughs) Do you know him? Um, He was invited to join her and Robert Wagner on their yacht called The Splendor on a weekend in late November. Mm -mm. Um, It was 200 yards off the Catalina Islands, Blue Cavern Point. Catalina. Catalina wine mixer. According to family friend and captain of the Splendor, Dennis Davern, people, okay, everywhere that I heard people talking about this, they all pronounced his last name differently. Davern. It's like Davern, Davern, like Davern. I'm like, what is it? What is it? I need consistency. I'm just going to say Davern. And we're just going to I like Davern. Dennis Davern. I like that. Um... Wood had become infatuated with Christopher Walken during the filming, and Wagner had even flown to set to make sure, quote-unquote, that he wouldn't be made a fool of. Um, Wagner was known to be very jealous and was once so angry about Natalie's relationship with Warren Beatty that he showed up at his house and threatened him with a loaded gun. And this was, like, not when they were together. Like, this was, like, when she was, like, kind of dating Warren Beatty. This was, like, in between their marriages. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, he was not involved at this point. Mm-hmm. Like, he was, that's how jealous he was that he just, like, was, right. you know, a good sign of a yeah. great person. Um, the group left on the Splendor at 12 p.m. on November 27th, 1981. Everyone on the yacht, including the captain, which is great, had been drinking heavily for most of the weekend. Okay. Um... Like, listen, I don't know a lot about boating, um, but I'm pretty sure if you're, like, the captain of a boat, it's kind of like driving a car. Like, like you really you should not be drink? intoxicated. I don't know. Just a thought. Um, <laughs> on that Friday night, Natalie and Robert had been arguing so much and so loudly that Davern became concerned and asked Christopher Walken to step in, to which he responded, never get involved in an argument between man and wife. Go fuck yourself, Christopher Walken. Yeah, no, that's my whole mood for this whole story. It's just like, you are not great. Just. We don't need more cowbell. We don't. Davern ended up taking wood to shore that night on the yacht's 13-foot inflatable dinghy called the Prince Valiant. And they slept in the Pavilion Lodge Hotel in Avalon. The first time Davern was questioned about this night... He lied, saying that all four of them had stayed on the yacht. Honey, don't lie. However, the police had already had evidence that they weren't on the yacht the first night. And then he told the truth. Yeah, great. And then he made it very clear 
that they just drank wine and went to sleep. Like, he he kept making a point of that. Like, nothing happened. We just drank wine and went to sleep. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, mm, you sound guilty. <laughs> um, on Saturday, November 28th, 1981, they returned to the Splendor where Wood decided to spend the remainder of the weekend on the yacht. Oh, girl. Because the, they went back because they were fighting and because she was freaked out by the water and didn't want to spend the night on water. Yeah. So they just went back to the hotel. And then, oh. like, with encouragement, no. she went back to stay on the yacht. No. Um... Uh, spent the remainder of the weekend on the yacht. Walken and Wood went ashore that afternoon to go drinking at a restaurant along the waterfront. Front? <laughs> I love reading. I also can't read or write. <laughs> they were later joined by Wagner and Davern. 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 Um, I also, like, I didn't write this down, but in all these things i was listening to or like reading they mentioned like how much they drank and i was like it's not really like that important to the story but it was like they drank three bottles of wine and one man had five daiquiris (laughs) i'm like wow it was me i was that one man (laughs) man with your daiquiris (laughs) um the party boarded the dinghy to return to the yacht at about 10 p.m a harbor patrol officer witnessed said they heard Woods screaming about something, which they assumed was just because she was drunk. Maybe don't assume, but go off, I guess. Um, This is the best couple name of all time. Okay. John Payne and Marilyn Wayne, a couple <laughs> spending the night on a neighboring boat. Payne and Wayne, Payne baby. And Wayne, baby, dream team. <laughs> a couple spending the night on a neighboring boat reported hearing a lot of shouting at around midnight. There was a party near, and so they did not respond. When they heard a woman screaming, Help me! Someone please help me! Coming from the stern of the boat, which is just where the dinghy happened to be. You know party noises like, Help Help me! me, Please! Someone help me! But this is why, this is why, super creepy, Mm -hmm. this is why they didn't call and they thought it was just people messing around. Yeah. Because as she's screaming, like, help me, someone please help me, they heard a man that sounded really drunk say, okay, honey, we'll get you, in a really mocking, like, okay, honey, we'll come and get you, like, that kind of voice. So they thought, like, it was so mocking that they were like, oh, it's just people, like, joking around. Sure, yeah, yeah. But I feel like if you hear someone saying, help me, someone please help me, help them don't ever take it as a joke i think that's like such an important thing where right. it's just like it's better to be wrong than to just like and just leave be like it. kind of embarrassed yeah like be like oh my god i'm so sorry i ruined like, your like party bad. but like then to like just that. stand by when somebody's being murdered yeah, exactly reports say there was a non-violent argument which is very weird to say if you were not present and most arguments are aggressive yeah maybe not violent but, but, like, there's, seeing how this has all turned out, I feel like it maybe was a violent argument, but Perhaps. that's fine. Um, Wagner says that he and Walken were having a political debate that started at dinner and continued aboard the yacht. He is quoted as saying, there was no fight, no anger, just a lot of words thrown around like you hear in most political discussions. Natalie sat there, not saying much of anything, and looking bored. Me. Um, she left us after about a half an hour, and we sat there talking for almost another hour. Then I went to kiss her goodnight and found her missing. Uh-huh. At 1.30 a.m., 
Wagner and Davern made a distress call to the Coast Guard saying that Natalie Wood had disappeared from the Splendor. Later on in the investigation, they asked Wagner why he didn't call sooner, and he, this is why, this is what he said, he didn't want to alert the public in case she was fooling around on someone else's boat, because that's who she was. Uh Uh-huh. It's like, oh, I thought my wife might be slutting it up on another (laughs) boat, so I didn't call when she was missing on the ocean. She's just a big whore. (laughs) Like, good job, Robert. You seem great. On November 29th, at about 7.30 a.m., six hours after the distress call, Natalie's body was found floating face down about a mile away from the yacht. She was wearing only a flannel nightgown, blue wool socks, and a red down jacket. Prince Valiant, the dinghy she had presumably left on, was found washed up on the rocks just a little further south. The ignition was off, the gear shift was set to neutral, and the oars were locked. Mm-hmm. Which implies she may have never started the vessel in the first place. What do you think? The coroner's report detailed that she had drunk seven or eight glasses of wine before the incident, and her blood alcohol level was at at least 0.14. The police ultimately ruled her death accidental. Mm-hmm. The coroner's report also said that she had superficial bruises on her arms and lower legs, as well as a cut on her cheek. Mm-hmm. Thomas Noguchi, the chief medical examiner, concluded... Gucci! Gucci, No Gucci! (laughs) Which is true. He is no Gucci. (laughs) The chief medical examiner concluded that Wood must have fallen into the water while trying to board the Prince Valiant. He said her down jacket must have become heavy and soaked, but due to her inebriated state, she didn't think to take it off. He claimed that since fingernail scratches were found on the side of the Valiant... This showed that she must have tried to climb aboard the dinghy, but likely drowned due to hypothermia and exhaustion. Mm-hmm. Natalie's sister, Lana, said, My sister was not a swimmer. She did not know how to swim. She would never go to another boat or to shore dressed in a nightgown and socks. Uh, yeah. Yeah. This is one of the um, most, like, telling parts. Mm-hmm. Because it's like when people provide you with too much information about any event, they're they're lying lying to you. Robert Wagner said in a 1986 biography, it was only after I told, I was told that she was dressed in a sleeping gown, heavy socks and a parka that it dawned on me what had really occurred. Natalie obviously (laughs) had trouble with the dinghy slamming up against the side of the boat. It had happened many, many times before, and I had always gone out and pulled the ropes tighter to keep the dinghy flush against the yacht. She probably skidded on one of the steps after untying the ropes. The steps are slick as ice because of the algae and seaweed that's always there. After slipping on the steps, she hit her head against the boat. I only hope she was unconscious before she hit the water. That was way too much information. Right? Like, you're just like, oh, I don't know, like, what could have happened? Like, did she slip? Maybe she slipped. Like, I just hope she didn't suffer or something. Because of the algae that's always clinging to them. Like, okay, Robert. Yeah, sounds fake, but okay, sir. Noguchi. No Gucci. No Gooch. Criticized Wagner's theory, saying that, that since the dinghy was rubber, it wouldn't have made much noise banging up against the side of the boat. 
In addition, there was undisturbed algae on the swim step, which implies that she may have been attempting to board the dinghy rather than adjusting the ropes. Mm -hmm. Then, police found broken glass in the Splendor's main salon. Wagner claimed this was due to the rough seas, which probably attributed to Natalie falling into the water. So now he's added that. Right. To his, like, no, she went out because it was loud. I usually do it, but that's probably it. It happened many, 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 many times. Many times I mentioned the algae. And then algae everywhere, constantly <laughs> slipping on algae. <laughs> um, which probably, yeah. However, Dennis Davern claimed that Wagner smashed the wine bottle in a jealous rage over Wooden Watkins' interactions that weekend, Davern says Wagner exclaimed, Jesus Christ, what are you trying to do? Fuck my wife. Just imagine someone saying that to Christopher Walken. A young Christopher Walken. A young CW. Even though he denied breaking the wine bottle in police statements, he later admitted to breaking the wine bottle in his own autobiography. This fucking guy. Can't get his story straight. Um, Dennis Davern is seen as being an unreliable witness. Because he took years to come forward with what he claims is the truth, and he had released details to the tabloids in a way the police refer to as unsavory. (laughs) However, Davern's accounts are the closest to related evidence and other witness testimony. For example, Christopher Walken's story is closer to Davern's than it is to Robert's. Mm -hmm. So. (laughs) Um, Davern also claims that on the night of his initial statement, he and Christopher Walken were taken to Wagner's home, where he told them that they all had to get their story straight. He also provided lawyers for both Davern and Walken. That's nice of him. He also moved Davern into his home and got him into the Screen Actors Guild. That's a nice guy. He got him work. And while Davern was staying at Wagner's house, his family was not allowed to contact him. That's normal. Mm-hmm. Um, he ended up telling someone, I wasn't sure this was on the Dr. Phil special that I watched, but I wasn't sure if it was his wife or, like, a family friend, but Mm -hmm. he told her, and she told the police, however, none of that was ever recorded or investigated at all. Yeah, that makes sense. So, good job, everyone. I just have, like, a really quick question. Mm -hmm. So, he was a boat captain? The thing was, he... That's what they keep referring to him as. How did he get into the screen after And he kept saying he was not a captain. He was just a friend of theirs that, like, Robert Wagner would, like, get work for sometimes. So it was like, oh, we're going on a boat trip. Do you want to come and help me, like, do the sales? So he was, like, an out-of-work actor who, kind of knew how boats worked. Exactly. That's his expertise. Okay. Work. Um... Walken claims that an argument broke out between Wood and Wagner and that he initially took Wood's side before leaving the room and removing himself from the situation. Well, yeah, you don't get between a man and a wife. Never. He then claims he saw them make up. Like, they made amends Mm -hmm. and carried on with their evening. Davern claims that they did not make up Mm -hmm. and that he could still hear them arguing from where he was on the boat. He also claims that he heard the dinghy being untied, followed by silence. Mm -hmm. Shortly after 11.30, Wagner returned, looking tousled and sweating profusely, as if he had been in a terrible fight or an ordeal of some kind. That's what Davern's statement was. Uh-huh. Please. Um, in the Dr. Phil special, they went to the boat. And now, in my mind, for whatever reason, I was picturing this yacht as, like, a huge, like, 
giant yacht yeah. that everyone was spaced out so it was like possible they couldn't hear. Yeah. It's so small. Yeah. Christopher Walken's room was literally beside where they would have been arguing. Yeah. So there's no way that if they were still arguing, like Davern said, that he wouldn't have heard uh-huh. them. So there's very selective hearing happening. Well, you know. Yeah. Davern also said that Wagner discouraged him from turning on the floodlights or starting up the engine in any attempt to search for her, saying he didn't want to alert people. Again, because his wife may be fooling around on someone's boat. Uh-huh. Um, there's an audio recording of the lifeguard who pulled Natalie's body from the water, saying that it's possible that she could have been alive for 3 to 5.8 hours before succumbing to the cold. Oh my god. He also corroborates the story of finding fingernail scratches on the side of the dinghy, but believes it's because she became conscious and tried to get back on the boat. Davern always claimed that he believes something malicious happened to Natalie. He believes she would have never tried to go to shore alone, and if she did want to return, she would have asked him to take her as she did the night before. Right. Like, that's the main thing that, like, bugs me so much about this, is that... Like, they already did they this They did once. this already. Like, she did not, she did not like the water. She wouldn't have tried to pat... She wouldn't wash her hair. Yeah. Like, that's... She's uh, not gonna, like, let me hop in this dinghy and I just can row it, myself like, back to shore. In my nightgown and socks. Like... Yeah. Sounds fake, but okay, but okay. Robert Wagner. Yeah. Um, thanks to new information... Um, the case was reopened in 2011. In 2012, the L.A. County Coroner's Office changed the cause of death from accidental drowning to drowning and other undetermined factors. What is the difference? <laughs> I, like, great. You still don't know how it happened. It's like, that's basically just the same thing, but reworded. Yeah, like, good job. Good job. Everyone's doing great. Um, the new report casts more questions about the nature of the bruises which they said likely to have been on her body before she fell into the water. Mm -hmm. They now believe that she was the victim of an assault and that she went into the water unconscious. Dr. Lakshmanan Sativegsurin is what I think that says. Yes, God. The chief medical examiner said in the report, the location of the bruises, the multiplicity of the bruises, the lack of head trauma or facial bruising support bruising having occurred prior to entry into the water. Mm-hmm. Since there are unanswered questions and limited additional evidence available, it is opined, opined <laughs> by this medical examiner that the manner of death should be left as undetermined. In February 2018, mm-hmm. nearly four decades after the unexplained drowning death of Hollywood star Natalie Wood, Los Angeles County Sheriff investigators told 48 Hours that her then-husband actor Robert Wagner was now a person of interest. Bitch, he should have been a person of interest the whole time. Only four decades later. Not even a big deal, don't worry about it. Um, (laughs) Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department Detective Ralph Hernandez said she looked like the victim of an assault due to all the bruising and cuts found everywhere on her body. Like, you don't say... Um, since the reopening of the case, too, like, two other witnesses have come forward who are unnamed uh-huh. still, but their stories match Davern's and the two people on the boat who heard, like, help me, and yeah. okay, honey, we'll come and get you. Um, Los Angeles County Sheriff Department Lieutenant John Carina said in an interview with 48 Hours, as we've investigated the case over the last six years, I think he's more a person of interest now than ever. 
I mean, we know that he was the last person to be with Natalie before she disappeared. Like, I just, I don't understand. It's like, in any other case, it's like, if you're the last person to see someone alive, like, you are prime suspect number one. Also, very sketchy to me, as if none of this wasn't already sketchy enough. But apparently when they found her body and, like, all the police were there... Him and Christopher Walken left on a helicopter and left left Dennis to um identify <laughs> to identify the body. Like you didn't stay to identify your wife's body. Yeah, that's like that doesn't seem that seems interesting. But, but like, fair enough. Um investigators say Wagner has refused to speak with them since the case was reopened. Investigators have attempted to speak with him eight times and even flew to his home in Aspen to question him. Oh, and his his family won't let the police question him because they're saying he's old now and has memory issues. I'm like, how convenient. I mean, like, that could very well be true, but, uh, just let him, let him try I anyway. mean, like, yeah, let's give it a whirl. It's amazing what people can remember. Yeah. It's like people with, like, dementia can, like, remember a song from, like, 80 years ago. Yeah, but not, like, you might know. Give it a yeah. give it a try. What's the worst that can happen? <sighs> he admits that he's guilty for killing his wife 40 years ago? Hmm. Um, the same guy says that he hasn't seen Robert Wagner tell much details and, like, any details he has told them have not matched other ones that he said. Great. So, um, he said, I think he's constantly, he's changed the, his story a little bit and his version of events just don't add up. And he ended with saying, we have not been able to prove this was a homicide and we haven't been able to prove that this was an accident either. The ultimate problem is that we don't know how she ended up in the water. And that's... That's it. That's, that's the mysterious, mysterious death of Natalie Wood. Very well done. It's a lot. It's very mysterious. I just, like, it's... It's rough. Right. Like, there's really... I don't know why everyone's having a hard time. No, I mean, like, I think it is fairly clear that he is most likely the person responsible for it. Yeah. Um, but sure. Look, let's see. Um, jealous history, mm-hmm. violent history, showing up with loaded guns, places to threaten people. Yeah, that's like definitely not chill. Um, going to her work and just watching so he wasn't embarrassed, like, put to shame by, like, her thinking Christopher Walken was cute or yeah. whatever. Like, fighting, smashing bottles on the boat. I don't know. Like, I don't see why everyone's like, who could it be? It's like, what a mystery. This is, like, so wild. I just don't know who it could be. But I guess it's like, obviously, they probably do think that it's him, and they probably know that it's him, but they have nothing to prove that no. it was. No. That's scary. Wow. It's just like, imagine being, like, deathly afraid of the water, and, like, I don't know, going in there, like, unconscious, yeah. and then waking up and realizing yeah. you're, like, in the, oh my god. That's so scary. Like, that's so sad when you said that, like, she had been alive for, like, several hours before dying. That's the thing, like, on the Dr. Phil special, too, they had her sister on, and they had, um, the host of the Fatal Voyage podcast, which Mm -hmm. you should listen to, because there's a lot more details, and they had Dennis Dabbern on, right? (laughs) And, um, that's what she just kept saying. She's like, like, I I can't, like, hold resentment or anything, because, like, it's too much. Like, I'm just, like, sad. She's like, but, like, why didn't you turn the lights on anyway? Like, why didn't you, like, and he's like, I was scared for my life because of him. Yeah. Like, which I don't doubt, 
But also, like, someone is in the water, and you need to, like, if you're the boat's captain or whatever, like, you need to look for them. Yeah, that whole situation's, like, really sketchy. Just, like, they didn't do anything correct. That's scary. I feel really bad that she was, like, probably terrified in her final moments alive. I know, it's like, and the fingernails, it makes me so sad. I know, like, her, like, trying to get back into the boat. It's so scary. But there's, like, there's no way she wouldn't have, like, would have gone by herself. Like, no. even. I think that's, like, super apparent. Like, she had, yeah. like, this deathly fear of water, like, from childhood. And, like, any time they had needed to go back to shore, she asked Dennis Someone to, to take, take her. her. So. Yeah. I think it's baloney for them to be like, you know, she just, like, decided to, like, boat herself back into yeah. shore. How you do? Just in your nightgown yeah. and socks. socks. When it's cold. And the parka. Yeah, it's November. I know it's like Catalina Islands, but, but it's like still those Californians don't know how to deal with cold. They don't. I don't know. Yeah, to me it just sounds like you know she was in her pajamas or whatever, and her and Robert got into an argument. Yeah, and it escalated, and she ended up in the water. And just you know, she has money and obvious like connections to just like helicopter out of there real quick. Yeah. So I don't know. <laughs> Listen, um, legally we can't say <laughs> that we think he did it, but we mm. think he did it. <laughs> yeah, he definitely did. Uh, so, great story. It's a lot. Both of those were very, yeah. very different, very <laughs> dramatic in their own way. Equally upsetting. Yeah, I would in say. In special way. I would say. Mine didn't have enough cannibalism for my liking, I guess. Well, I but... mean, yeah. If any of you remember Zoe's murder from last year, <laughs> um, that is one of the most haunting cases I've ever heard. Yeah, I tried to, like, not do something as, like, upsetting. Upsetting as last time because I was like, children being murdered, children being assaulted, children being cooked. And I was like, okay. Maybe tone it down. Maybe just like a little, like a notch. So I did like a mystery about it. I like celebrity. it. And you know, it's like it happened like long enough ago that it's like a little less jarring than yeah. if it was like something that happened like a year ago. Um, no, it's really good. Uh, it's a very interesting case, and it'll be fascinating to see if anything comes of it. All my information was from BuzzFeed Unsolved, the podcast Fatal Voyage, and Dr. Phil. (laughs) Just the way I like it. BuzzFeed Unsolved and Dr. Phil. Your number one source (laughs) for the scandalous lives of Manhattan's elite. It's true. XOXO. Gossip girl. Uh, Great. Anything else? Um, As per usual, uh, follow us on social media. We're on Twitter and Instagram at HonestlyPod, and we're at Facebook.com slash HonestlyPod. We also have an email address, which is thehonestlypodcast at gmail.com, and we have a website, which is thehonestlypodcast.wixsite.com slash home. Don't forget the slash home. It's important. It is important. Uh, We also have merch, which um, if you go to our website, there is a little merch tab that you can click on, or you can go to... Honestlypod.threadless.com. Great. We're sticking with it. We'll just nod and yeah. smile and say that's it. It could but be right. We told you where the merch tab is. So that's probably, if that doesn't work, yeah. you have another option. It's your best bet. Um, also, it would be so great if you could rate and review and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. 
um, it means a lot to us and it helps us. Um, and we want, we want to be at the top of the charts, baby. Yep. Um, <laughs> if you do, uh, review, uh, if you do leave a review, take a screenshot of it and email it to us or tweet it or send it to us somehow. Slide into those DMs. Slide into the DMs. Um, and we, in return, will send you a limited edition Honestly Pod sticker. Lim dish. Baby. Baby. <laughs> Is that it? I think that's all. All right. Bye. Bye. Spooky bye. <laughs>